You're listening to Professionalism Matters podcast series, where we discuss important matters impacting on our professionalism and remind ourselves why our professionalism really matters. Professionalism is the set of values, behaviours and relationships which underpins the trust the public has in doctors, in nurses and health and social care professionals. In conversation with our expert guests, we shall explore some of the greatest dilemmas in professionalism and ethics in modern healthcare practice. And together with you, our audience, we hope to find some of the solutions. My name is Professor Dennis Harkin. I am a surgeon and chair of medical professionalism at the Centre for Professionalism in Medicine and Health Sciences at the Royal College of Surgeons in Ireland. This episode of Professionalism Matters is on advocacy. Advocacy is defined as the process of actively supporting the cause or speaking or writing in favour of or defending or interceding on behalf of a person or a group. Traditionally, the ethic of the health worker is to be a protector and an advocate of the patient. Social justice is an important theme in professionalism. In healthcare, this concept is that all individuals have the right to health and deserve equal access to health care and high quality health care, regardless of their circumstance. And yet evidence supports the harmful impact on health of poverty, deprivation and social exclusion. The World Health Organization describes advocacy for health as a combination of individual and social actions designed to gain political commitment, policy support, social acceptance and system support for a particular health goal or agenda. Our health care system has uh, been burdened by tremendous pressure due to the COVID-19 pandemic. The pandemic has also highlighted shortcomings in our healthcare system. Two main goals underpin health advocacy, protection of the vulnerable and empowerment of the disadvantaged. So today I am delighted to be joined by our guest, Dr. Suzanne Crow, who is an anesthesiologist, an intensivist, and the current president of the Medical Council of Ireland. She completed her specialist training in anesthesia and intensive care through the College of Anesthesiologists of Ireland and also had a fellowship uh, in Melbourne, Australia. In 2005, she was appointed consultant in anesthesiology at Talith University Hospital. In 2014, she moved to Children's Health Ireland at Crumlin. She's medical director of the paediatric intensive care. She's also national clinical lead for paediatric organ donation. In 2021, she was appointed Associate Professor in Paediatrics at UCD and has written uh, over 50 peer-reviewed papers and book chapters. Dr Crowe has been a member of the Medical Council of Ireland since 2018 and in 2021, Dr Crowe was elected President of the Council. She's the youngest person to have held this role. She's an advocate for patients and healthcare improvement and children's health and social services. So, with your permission, Suzanne, I'd like to chat to you today about something that matters to professionalism, the spectre of advocacy. We will explore your personal reflections, the insights you've gained, and we hope you will share that and the lessons you've learned with our listeners so that they may cope better with situations they experience in future. 
For the benefit of our listeners, we will use uh, the reflective process, what, so what, and now what. So first of all, Suzanne, what? If you think of advocacy, could you describe what that means to you? Thank you, Dennis. I think advocacy is a very big word and I think it probably puts a lot of people off and my way of thinking of it is having your patients back. If I'm working with you as an anaesthetist and you're the surgeon, you would like to think the anaesthetist has your back and likewise. So why not extend that same respect and relationship to your patient and advocacy is having your patients back. So if we consider that um, description, uh, so advocacy um, can obviously be for uh, a person, an individual, or for a group of individuals. In your experience, your career so far, quite clearly you have advocated uh, for um, anesthesiology, for intensive care, and for children's services. You also now have a role as president where you're advocating perhaps on behalf of uh, doctors, but also for uh, the health needs and health service uh, to serve the public of our country. So if we think of those two different areas that you have been an advocate within, could you expand a little bit just on how you've been a personal advocate for doctors, for patients, um, in your individual role as an anaesthetist? I think it's quite easy to speak for patients when you look after children. Anyone I know who works with children would feel very strongly that in a way there's no point in trying to fix one little aspect of a child's medical care and not uh, or, or turn your attention away from the family, the community they live in, the society that they live in. And so in a way if you work in paediatrics you do end up becoming quite political. I mean political in the in the broader sense of the word and that means that you come across patients who touch you so much that you feel like you must start to speak for them and I think that that you become almost an an accidental advocate because of that and that's probably the way it happened for me the medical route was more to do with getting involved with the medical council and becoming more aware of doctors in distress and doctors working in a system under stress and how, as the medical council, we could actually speak to the wider needs within the profession and that that was something that we could step up and do. So that leads us very well onto our uh, second part of the reflective process, uh, the so what, uh, so what, so the analysis of the events and the impact um, advocacy or the lack of advocacy has on individuals. Uh, we spoke obviously of doctors, um, colleagues, uh, other health and social care professionals and we know that uh, conditions such as burnout, um, early retirement uh, due to the pressures and strains of uh, modern healthcare practice uh, are rife in our healthcare system which is already racked by a workforce uh, shortage. So in terms of the so what, the impacts, what have you witnessed personally or what have you heard as a president that maybe attracts the views of a broader audience within the medical profession in Ireland? I think the interesting thing is if you go out and sit with families, particularly when they've gone through a very difficult situation, and that might be the reason why they come to the door of the medical council, but if you sit and listen to their story, I think I have been struck by the fact that Patients and the public expect doctors to speak up for them, that doctors have a particular standing and respect in our community. I, I know we may feel that perhaps that's been eroded a little bit in more recent years, 
But we do have a standing and we do have a tremendous gift of an education behind us as well. And many of us are, are reasonably articulate when it comes to speaking to um, what is needed to fix certain situations. So our public expect that. Our patients think that we're doing it already. So it, it becomes quite easy to actually move into that space. And I think on a personal level, it can be very helpful as well. I think if you're not actually speaking up for your patient's needs, it can erode your identity a little bit as a physician because advocacy is very much part of the role of a physician. And if you engage with that aspect of being a doctor, it can actually help with compassion fatigue and burnout. And I think that there is some research to support that. But it also can deepen your your relationship with your patient because you begin to see your patient in the wider sense. You see them as part of their family. You see them as part of their community. And so it actually gives you gives back a lot to you as a doctor. So once you've grappled with the fact that you're not just a doctor in terms of your occupation, but it's very much part of your identity, you can just grow into that space of advocacy. That's very well said, Suzanne. Um, obviously, it's that uh, reconnecting with the purpose that drew us into a caring profession like, like medicine, and uh, it can seem very much like a job, but it's clearly not just a job. And, uh, and part of our role is to empower our patients, to speak on behalf of our patients, and to advocate. Um, do you feel um, that it is possible to get uh, too embroiled in the uh, personal lives of your patient and your extent and the extended family, particularly in, in paediatric intensive care, a very stressful situation where there are no second bests, really. A lot of people feel in, in, in the care of a, a young, vulnerable child. Um, and how do you balance that through your career, uh, being uh, caring enough uh, to, to advocate on behalf of that patient, that family, um, but not caring so much that you actually harm yourself in the process? It, it's a definite hazard and I think it's a hazard of caring deeply about any patient or, or the place that you work but the wonderful aspect of the apprenticeship model that we have in medicine means that you as you're working through your years of training and your early life as a consultant you see people who do it very well and who have good boundaries who can engage with a patient at a very deep and meaningful level but also have a boundary between them and then perhaps you see other colleagues who just stray a little too far. And that's a way that you create your own sense of style and the way that you will advocate, because each person's going to do it a little bit differently. Um, I don't think there's one size for everybody. Um, but boundaries are really key. And certainly when I'm speaking to trainees about this aspect, which isn't for everybody, that boundaries are, are, are important and you've got to set limits around yourself. There, you can't fix every patient's problems. You can't fix all of the problems that are out there. So you just have to develop your own interests that play to possibly your own experiences as well. Um, and what you say there is very uh, wise for those who are listening. Um, in terms of um, the boundary issue in particular um, in the modern world uh, where we feel there is a lot more openness, um, transparency, which is important, uh, but it also means that uh, many of those discussions that were previously held in secret or in private are now more open, um, and uh, they can be interpreted or misinterpreted uh, as people may wish to. Um, when we 
live in a world where um, news is 24-7, uh, people have access to social media um, and uh, will uh, tend to maybe speak on social media not only in their own personal lives but maybe on behalf of their, their patients or even an individual patient. Obviously boundaries becomes a, a very blurred line there. Um, as someone experienced and who has uh, led um, doctors in Ireland for uh, several years now in terms of your role as president, how do we strike that balance between the personal and the professional, particularly in the world of social media? It's a difficult line to walk, and I think we're all learning the etiquette around it. Um, I think everything that you put on social media, you should put in some kind of a holding box for at least a few minutes and then go back and, and look at it again. And it's absolutely key never to identify any individual patient in any shape or form if you do speak about a patient, and it's rarely necessary to do so, um, it's very easy to change most of the detail around the patient. I think if you take your patient that's motivating you to, to speak on social media and imagine a hundred of those patients in front of you, how would you speak about that group? And, and that's probably a better way of getting your message across. It's really key that you step away from identifying an individual patient. No good can come of that. So that's very, very sensible. So that, that protection of the, the bond, the private bond, the privacy, the confidentiality, and also thinking about uh, not only the individual, but the greater needs of that, that patient group or, or, or indeed healthcare in general, and uh, having a positive message and a factual message, I suppose. Um, that leads us very well now on to our third part of the reflective uh, discussion. So we've done the what, we've done the so what, and we're on to the now what. So if we were to think about proposing a way forward um, in terms of advocacy, in terms of your experience, your advice, what you think works, um, one area I'd like to specifically ask you about um, is um, obviously how do we become an advocate? We're maybe taught it in a lecture, uh, maybe a series of lectures uh, during our medical careers or undergraduate uh, medical school careers. We may attend a course before we become a consultant. That might be a combination of uh, professionalism, leadership, management. Um, do we learn it from our senior uh, colleagues or mentors as we go through our postgraduate early training or our consultant career, how do we become a good advocate and should we be teaching people specifically how to be advocates? I think an identity kit kind of recipe would make for a very, a very boring form of advocacy. I don't think I'd really support that. I think it's always going to be a blend of aspects that appeal to you, but the first one or two times that you stand up on your feet and put your own view and possibly your views on, on what's happening with patient care or what's happening with doctors. First time you do that will feel really frightening. And the best way to do it then is to do it within a group, um, to have identified people who feel in a similar fashion to yourself and stand with others. And I think that that's a good way to foster your ability um, and learn the skills that go with it, learn the limits, um, because it can be lonely and it can feel quite risky. Um, you obviously will be concerned about personal recrimination, especially if you're going on social media. So if you join any kind of an organisation um, that appeals to your interests and, and the people that you perhaps want to speak for, 
and stand with them. I think it puts you on much safer ground. It'll protect you as an advocate, particularly growing your skills, but it'll also protect the people that you speak for. And that could be a charity or a union or a postgraduate body. If you are doing that though, it's obviously key to make it clear that you have the permission of those that you speak for. Yeah, speak on behalf of. So an area that uh, you care about, that you're maybe passionate about, if that's not too strong a word, and uh, gathering a coalition of the willing um, around you, um, be that through any of those uh, um, outlets that you've described. So that's fantastic. Um, so that gives us a, a way forward. Um, so that's the now what. Um, so in terms of finishing our chat, and I suppose for the listeners out there, uh, so that we don't leave them in suspense, um, if you had to give a few important lessons you've learned about advocacy, Suzanne, um, for our listeners, uh, something they can take away and, and think about and maybe apply, what would be the most important or the, or the two most important things that you've learned about advocacy so far? Um, I think the first one would be that sometimes it can be easy to rush to advocacy. Um, you can come across a patient whose circumstances are so desperate that you feel you must immediately speak for them. However, it is worth pausing because not every patient wants you to speak for them. And that can be a difficult thing to accept and really goes to the core of empathy and, and standing beside your patient and identifying what they need. And sometimes, rather than you speaking, what the patient really wants and perhaps really needs is for you to assist them and, in a sense, elevate them to speak for themselves. So always consider that, I think, first before rushing in and speaking for somebody else. I think that is a very powerful lesson and I learned that particularly when I encountered a, a homeless patient and I was extremely exercised on the subject and probably managed to drive a lot of people crazy about it. Um, but, and I did make the mistake of speaking for somebody who I think would have been happier had they been given the tools to speak for themselves. And my second little lesson would be, it is scary, but you should do it. Where people should speak up uh, about yeah. things that matter and, and things that matter to them and uh, obviously empowering the group or individual to uh, give them a voice uh, and, and part of that is, is, is leading that voice but also uh, empowering them to have their own voice so that is fantastic. Um, on that note I would like to thank our guest uh, Dr Susan Crow, the President of the Medical Council, uh, very much for sharing uh, your experience and your personal reflections today with us. Thank you for listening uh, to this episode of Professionalism Matters, podcast series on advocacy, broadcast from the Centre for Professionalism in Medicine and Health Sciences at the Royal College of Surgeons in Ireland, in Dublin. I hope you've enjoyed it, and if you have, I would like you to invite your friends and colleagues uh, to also listen. If you would like to know more about the topics discussed in this podcast, do have a look at our podcast description for further information. If you're new to podcasts, perhaps listening for the first time, please make sure you just subscribe to the channel and make listening easier for yourself in future. You can access this podcast or any other in the series on all the major apps. And for more info on the team, our expert, or medical professionalism in general, or if you would like to have your CPD recognised for listening to this podcast and would like a certificate, please look at the Professionalism Matters podcast series description and links. 
And remember, professionalism matters, do matter, and goodbye for now. Thank you.